7.05. So much to talk about. we got a great show on tap for you tonight. It's Iron Sports. 95.9 The True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here with you as well. Going to be a little bit of a different show. You know, we always start off with, Ira, where have you been? And this week, it's going to be, Ira, where are you at right now? Because you're not in studio. We're doing this all via the phone line. Ira, I hope you had a great week. What's going on? Well, I'm in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, at the largest real estate show in the world. And it sort of dovetails into what we're going to talk about, about where I just was at. I was in Cleveland, uh, watching the Cavaliers uh, get a game, the first game in the series against the Celtics. So it's, a, it's an amazing, it's very exciting to be here in Las Vegas because, of course, the Golden Knights, after their first season, are in the Stanley Cup Finals. The town is going crazy. It's all what people are talking about. And it's really neat to be in a town that's that anybody when, who's, I grew up in Pittsburgh and around Pittsburgh when they were going to the Super Bowl, the excitement about that, when a team is playing and they're in the finals and they're in the, the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals, the World Series, even the non-fans, the people who don't watch hockey games the whole year, they're into it. Everybody's a Knights fan. Everybody's talking about it. And the town stopped on Sunday to watch the game. You know, Ira, that was one of the things that I was just wondering, even before the Vegas Golden Knights were there. This is a city that a lot of people are transplants. It's a lot of tourists as well. So you're saying that, that, that this there's already a fan base. And obviously winning cures everything. But there's really already a fan base for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, I think it is a transient town, but I would think that if the Marlins, uh, when they were, I was not in Florida when they were going for the title, but it, it, it definitely, this has a feel that I think Vegas, it's not, Vegas is their only team. They don't have a football team. They don't have a baseball team. This is their first pro team. They are behind this team 100%. And I'm telling you, it's the people that don't watch hockey, that don't even watch games during the year. They're into it. Everyone's stopping. And the bars are packed. People are going to people's houses. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon when the game was at start at 1230. Literally. And it's hard to make Vegas stop. It's really hard to make Vegas stop. It stopped for this game. <laughs> Th- that's incredible. You know, can I ask you to draw a comparison before we get into uh, game three of Cleveland and Boston? Oklahoma City seems like a city like that. And, you know, they didn't have a professional sports team. I'm sure you've been there uh, to see the Thunder. Is, is it the same feeling? Because Oklahoma City, from what I've heard, is like the fans' paradise. And they just totally embrace the team because it's what they have. Yeah, I, I was at Utah when Utah had the great Stockton Malone. And it was there when they were against the Bulls. The same thing. Um, people that didn't even like basketball, didn't care about basketball. But they embraced the town. They embraced the team. It was the, it, the pride that they have. I, Vegas likes this. This is, this is really fitting well. And I think people say, well, in three years when they're losing, people aren't going to be into the team. They'll be into this team. I, this team is, when they're, they're getting three, 4,000 people uh, at practice, for, at Summerlin, for practice, for hockey practice. Uh, people all around town are wearing jerseys. They're all, every, everybody is wearing it. Um, it, the excitement level is it can't get it, I can't imagine getting even higher anywhere <laughs> alright let's get into it 709 Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel Cleveland um, got taken off life support uh, a huge win over Boston to make the series a little bit more even two games to one they're going to play the fourth game of that series uh, tonight at 8.30 on ESPN Ira before we talk about the actual game what was the atmosphere like in Cleveland it must have been uh, a little bit I would think somber before the game but probably late it after i don't think it was somber first of all i the fans expected to win there was it was a saturday night uh people were at the casino i got there early met friends that there's a casino like in pittsburgh right next to the stadium and the casino was packed full of people everyone's wearing Cavs jerseys everyone excited people watching the preakness um everybody got to the stadium it's fun going to 
playoff basketball games is that half an hour before the game, the stands are packed. Everyone's there. And, uh, and it was just, and LeBron got everyone pumped up. I just felt, and then it was great after the game. Uh, there are so many bars, so many restaurants, the casino, uh, the town was alive. Uh, I'm saying 10, 12 years ago, you walked out of Cleveland, uh, at a gap or game, there was no bars, no restaurants to see. That's what I to dovetail with the real estate show. They had a lot of things about development around sporting events and sports centers. We see where the Dolphin Stadium is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You walk out of Dolphin Stadium, you can't really walk anywhere. Um, certainly when you walk out of Miami Arena, there are places to go. So that's some sort of excitement. But I do like these. I think it's really helped a lot of towns like Detroit and like Pittsburgh and Cleveland to be able to walk out of your stadium and to go into downtown uh-huh. and to enjoy the restaurants and the nightlife and, and to experience the city. It's, it's, it's really done wonders for these cities. Baltimore is one of my favorites. Being able to walk out of Camden Yards right into the Inner Harbor after a baseball game. The, the, and I do love the setups like that where it's got just stuff going on. Dolphin Stadium, it, it is what it is, but you're right, Ira. It's a little disappointing that you can't do anything uh, right out of there. Let's get into game three. Right, that's also yeah. like, Mike, 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 when you walk out, the fun thing is, so you have friends that are all around the stadium, and the last thing you want to do when you have a big win, you don't want to just get in your car or be talking on your yeah. cell phone, meet in the lobby afterwards. You want to go to the bar, you want to go to the restaurant, you want to talk about the game, talk about the plays, meet your friends that were all separated throughout the place. I was with a group of like 20 people, and we're all talking. I think that's what makes it fun is that you don't have to just get in a car and rush home or get wasted in traffic. You can just enjoy going to a bar, going to a restaurant, and there are so many in Cleveland. I mean, it's countless on different blocks, different levels. Uh, it's, it's a, it was great. Will- We'll be going back to uh, games one and two in just a few minutes to talk about the takeaways from Boston uh, really laying it to Cleveland for two games. But uh, as we saw on Saturday, Cleveland absolutely romped by almost 30 points, 116 to 86 over Boston. Um, Ira, game three really got out of hand, didn't it? It was out of hand when it started. And, and I had predicted. I said it was gonna, I thought Cleveland was going to sweep Boston. Even when we lost that first game last week, I said they're going to win four in a row. Um, I was, I'm as shocked as anyone what happened in game two, but, uh, I, I thought in game two, back to where they lost 107-94, I felt that the, I felt that they were, they had control of the game. They were up at the end of the first half by seven, but LeBron got hit in the head by Jason Tatum on a drive mm. and he left the game for a few minutes. And I don't think he was the same player when they came back. And that really ended up hurting them. So they were um, they were up seven going into halftime. Then, it, then they were down. They were outscored in the quarter, thirty six twenty two. And uh, and, they, and again, the game wasn't even close at the end, and, and they ended up losing uh, losing that night. So, but I felt that I just feel like everyone keeps saying that Boston is more talented than Cleveland. I think Cleveland's more talented than Boston, and they have LeBron James. So I, the game, I was not surprised what happened Saturday night. The, you know, thirty point blowout. It, they did everything right. They, they, they just the players made their shots. They had open shots. Boston looked frazzled. Boston Tatum was was fumbled, turning the ball over. Tatum uh, uh, Brown had two points in the third quarter. Yeah. Up in the third quarter, I mean, they were getting nothing. I mean, it was it was a blowout. It was not a close game at all. Uh, and at no point in the game, you thought Cleveland was going to lose this lead. I, you know, and that's one of the things, and we've seen so many of these games so far in this NBA playoffs. We're going to talk about blowouts in just a minute. And what's better in a series? Do you want the longevity or do you want very good games? To get to that in just a minute. I run sports at 713 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Sean, I mean, you were on the, in that bandwagon too that Cleveland was going to win decisively in game yeah. three. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, bringing 
LeBron back, put him into Cleveland. Uh, you know, I brought it up. I mean, he just kind of dominated. I think the biggest takeaway that you got to look at game three, right, is that everybody finally contributed. Kevin Love, 13 points. Uh, Tristan Thompson, 10 points. Uh, George Hill, 13. Josh Smith, 11. Kyle Korver, 14. Every single one of the guys that's in your rotation gave you more than 10 points. This is what LeBron's been waiting for. I mean, this is one of the biggest blowouts, you know, so far in the playoffs for them. And he scored 27 points. He's had games where he's dropped 40 yeah. multiple times already. You know, and finally he had that support um, really step up for him where I think they're starting to take it personal. I mean, you know, I sent you guys the, you know, is this the worst LeBron team ever? You know, and then they were ranking the most awful Cavaliers <laughs> players uh, at radio, uh, at my TV show in, in Boston. So I think finally, I mean, I think they took it personal um, and 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 finally, you know, stepped up to the challenge. So uh, I think this series from here on out, I, I, I still, even though they're down 2-1, even though Boston's played well, you know, I, it, LeBron's the best player on the planet, and, and I think he overcomes uh, that 0-2 deficit and, and will definitely end this series the and, Cavs and way. And to dovetail what Sean said, what I think what the Cavaliers did finally, it was interesting. Tyron Lue said after game one, he said, our analytics have shown us that Tristan Thompson guards Al Horford better than any player in the NBA. Well, that's great. After game, did they just come up with that? Like, did the analytics were sent to him by express mail that he opened up the envelope? Like, they knew that. Why didn't he start game one? You know, he should have started game one. And then when he's in there, you can see, as we've talked on the show, he gets the offensive rebounds. He, he allows Kevin Love to be able to get these open shots because Thompson yes. is doing the dirty work getting the offensive rebounds. Yeah. And what the Cavs did this game was the Cavs decided to have a lineup of Hill, of Thompson, of J.R. Smith, and of LeBron in the game, and Love in the game as starters, and then they would bring Nance Green, Clarkson, and Corbin in, in the second team. You could see times in the game. Now, LeBron got his break still, but like those four were ready to check in, and LeBron was still in the game with the other starters, mm -hmm. and the person next to me said, I guess which of the four cap players is going to stay on the floor when the other four check in? Of course, it was LeBron. <laughs> right, yeah. So, but... He, I, there were things when you see when you go live to a game like this to see it was that it just made it amazing. There was one play, LeBron's passing. He had twelve assists, yeah. but his passing was through the roof. He drove. He was complaining to the ref at a point where I think the ref should have given him a technical. But he's bringing the ball up slowly, barking at the ref, and he's yelling at the ref. They cross mid court. He's still looking at the ref, and I'm taking a picture. I'm seeing <laughs> so at out of nowhere, he just whips the ball to the corner. Corver is wide open and drains a three. He didn't even look at Corver, and he was still yelling at the ref. When Corver was shooting it, he was still yelling at the ref. And then there was another play where he walked up there, and they ran a play, and there was a, and Corver didn't go where he wanted him to go, and there was a foul, there was, like they called a foul, so they had to redo the play again. And LeBron is screaming. I'm on the seventh row. So I'm hearing what he said. He said, you've got to stand there. You've got to come to this spot right here. So he actually told him where to go. They, I'm like, you're going to run that same, whatever. They ran the same play. He threw it right to Corver. <laughs> he went through three Celtics. I do not think that Manning, Brady, any NFL quarterback could have thrown a pass like that. It's He can dribble and throw a pass without with on one hand, any direction. And what's amazing now when he's dribbling is that if you think he's going to pass, he'll, he'll pause and, and stop for a second, and then he just drives back and dunks the ball. Uh, this is the we are seeing the greatest LeBron. There, uh, anyone I know, Max Kellogg on ESPN, and someone said, "Well, he was better when he was the Heat and all this other stuff." We are seeing a this player is that is uh, as under Jordan's level when Jordan was best. But really, I don't I can't imagine a player in the NBA playing besides Jordan as well as what we're seeing right now. It's one of those things, and he's a, just a master of theatrics too. He makes everything look 
and seem interesting and fun. And he is a field general. And I can't wait to talk a little bit more about the series in a second. 717, I run sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Ira live on the phone all the way from Las Vegas. Ira, why do you think these games are so lopsided? I mean, we haven't seen, you know, with, with the exception of maybe the Philly-Boston series, almost every series is a little bit of a joke in every game. Well, it, it, there's been six games so far in the, in the East. The scoring difference is 25, 13, and 30. The West is 13, 22, and 41, an average of 24 points. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's why people keep saying that they want to see seven-game series. I'd rather see four close, hard-fought games. In the fourth, there haven't been starters. There have the teams, both teams have not had their starters out at, and now for six games. Now, this is almost, most of it could be at 14. So almost through half the games, the starters, neither teams have their starters at the end of the game. Um, I think one of the main thing I think is that these teams come in with plans, they, they execute them, they jump out to these big leads, and they're able to hold the leads on, and the other teams, it seems like maybe they're too relying on the analytics, maybe they're too relying on making adjustments, and for some reason, they're just not able. Now, I think, I don't know why Boston, I mean, Cleveland lost those first two games, so I think those are aberrations. Certainly, Golden State had a terrible game, too. I think you have two teams between Cleveland and Golden State that are superior and should win those games. I wasn't surprised by the Houston game, either, but... Um, you would think that Houston could come back and keep these games closer. And, and uh, it is, it is, when I'm sitting there and people around me are like, why are you watching the game? And then they, it scores 30 points <laughs> in the fourth quarter because I enjoy watching games. So I'll watch it to the end all the time. I, I think, um, I think one of the reasons, Mike, too, why we're starting to see blowouts is as the game moves away from the basket. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not, it's like an evolution of the game. I mean, it's just everybody, they're shooters now. So you've seen it, right? We, we, we buried uh, Steph Curry for the first two games of the series because, you know, he shot one of 12, you know, in, in the finals. Then he comes out and he does what he does, um, you know, the other night and just puts on a show and, you know, claims this is my house yeah, as he should, minutes, yeah. you know, and, and drop 18 in the third. But that's what we're seeing. When these shooters get hot they can go on a run like that and we're seeing that it's like there's always these games right and there's a blowout well one quarter a team gets outscored 20 to 5 or something you know mm -hmm. or 22 to 5 run and and then they just can't come back teams can't come back from that but i do think it's an evolution of the game where we're not big centers in the middle you know playing uh, outside in it's definitely you know on the perimeter now a lot of pick and pop stuff running guns so you're just seeing you know the ability to go on a run and build that lead that a team can't come back from and you just see that uh, team to be, be demoralized. So. I loved the Curry, you know, this is my house. Up until, you know, the Love second it. half of that game, he was just staying on Kevin Durant's couch at his house. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's a little ahead of himself, but uh, obviously he's got some uh, some hardware to back it up. Yeah. Um, Ira, you know, everyone always says, it's a, one of the biggest, like, tropes in sports, that a seven-game series, I want this to go seven. We know the leagues want it to go seven, they make more money. Um, I think that you kind of disagree with that, though. Yeah, no, I do. I, I, I want to see the closer games. I think that I think that's what brings. I think if you just want to hold out for one close, that one game, this is a seventh game. I think you want to see uh, uh, the competition throughout. And I, it is just, I, I guess, also it's also shooters. What Sean said, the shooters, when te the teams are staying hot, the shooters like Boston that are cold, they're staying cold the whole game, and the uh, Cleveland shooters are staying hot the whole game. Uh, before we jump to the West, I do want to say what I really like about Cleveland, George Hill. If you look at this team and look how they're going to play, he has to play well. George yeah. Hill played in Indiana. He played in big playoff games. He was on the San Antonio team that played in big playoff games, too, and that was traded for Quali Leonard. So he's been around the league. He knows, and he allows LeBron to play off the ball a little. He allows LeBron. 
on to take it easy a little bit on offense, and he's a smart player. And he, that's what when I saw Hill make those two threes at the end game, I'm like, okay, Cleveland has his game. Yeah. So if you're watching the game tonight, watch George Hill, watch how he plays. If he's playing well, it's going to be another blowout. Um, let's uh, let's we can stay here for a little bit longer because I do want to know what you guys' opinions are on the rest of the series, Ira. You know. You think the Celtics are going to be able to hold on? I mean, they had a two games to nothing lead. Obviously, got uh, you know just beat in on Saturday. Where do you see the series going? I mean, is it going to be Celtics coming back and winning this in six? I mean, uh, uh, Cleveland coming back and winning this in six? What do you think? I think Cleveland wins tonight. I think they can be. I think they will go back and be. I think they figured it out, Boston. Now, I think Boston. I, I think they win in Boston, and then they come back on Friday night and close out on Friday night at home in Game Six. Um, I was surprised by game six. Surprised by I was surprised by game one, really. But yeah. I was more even more surprised by game two. But everyone, I think this Boston theory. Oh, we needed. They said we needed our butts kicked. Well, I don't really think you need your butt kicked by thirty. Like they're not. <laughs> they're not a team that should have been overconfident. They should not have been overconfident. They're playing LeBron James. So I, I thought those comments were a little unusual. I think you're. I think what Sean said. I think Cleveland is now focused. I think Cleveland's even bad at Boston. I saw Cleveland play with a lot of fire. Um, they, they, they take this personally, and they, and I agree with what Sean said earlier. They don't want to be said that they're not as good, that their players are bad, that they're this and that. I think they're a little tired with the press is saying, and uh, I think they're. I, I think they'll win the next three. I don't buy any of. The, I don't buy any of the media. You know, guard what Mike D'Antoni said. We played soft, James Harden backed it up. You know, this is nobody needs to get their butt kicked. A young team. I understand that you need to be a little humility after going up two nothing, but yeah, Ira, you don't want to lose by thirty points yeah. like you just said, and that, you know I think it's just like um, you know them just beating around the proverbial bush. Sean, what do you think? What's this series? Oh yeah, no, I definitely think that because because we talked about it before, where I talked about all the role players stepped up, but every single one of them stepped up. LeBron doesn't even need that. He yeah. just needs three guys to help guys him out. To I mean, 20, so, yeah. so, so if, if this is going to be what we're going to see, and, and Ira brought up a, a great point about Hill, the reason why he's so important to that offense is that LeBron had had battles with them, you know, when he was with the Pacers. But at the same time, he knows that, okay, this is a veteran guy. I could trust him with the hand. I mean, zero turnovers for George Hill. I think he was uh, three of six from three, um, you know, in, in in game three. So, you know, you were starting to see him come back uh, and, and, and take on more of a leadership role on the court. You know, obviously LeBron's the leader there. But just having George Hill bring the ball up, hitting key shots, and having, you know, that trust from LeBron, I think moving forward is just a... And we're seeing it with Tristan coming back and starting. Uh, Ira brought up a good point. Now Kevin Love doesn't have to do the dirty work. He can he can focus on what he is. He's a scorer. Let Tristan go inside where he's that he's that junkyard dog and he's going after it. And and we saw him really pump the brakes on Horford. I mean, Horford was a different player game three. And 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 so far the series, even though you got the uh, the guy the, you know the young guys uh, on the wings, Horford is the guy that that offense has really yeah. been running through pretty much in the playoffs. I mean, he's he's the guy that's been doing it. So. Um, you know, I just think LeBron is just too good, too special, and with this game, with these guys coming out and and having his back, I think I think it's obviously the Celtics. I mean, it's uh the Cavs winning. Ira, um, I have a a friend, diehard. He lives in New England, diehard. You know, he's a fan of everything Boston. He posted on Facebook the other day: Brad Stevens is better than Bill Belichick. Cool. It's an interesting comment, though, and Bill's had a little bit more to work with, obviously much larger sample set and a lot more uh, rings. <laughs> Ira, do you think, though, that this series is essentially LeBron James versus Brad Stevens and not a team? It's against a coach. Um, well, I think, it, I think it is to some extent, yeah, because right now what we're seeing, we're seeing how good 
the Celtics are in terms of their future. But um, but the question, really, question what we're, what we're hopefully going to have is that I do believe that LeBron is just going to put his is. Uh, LeBron is actually you guys an NBA player just walked right by me and said hi to me. So <laughs> I was sort of stunned. But um, but uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the LeBron, LeBron is the Boston Celtics have talented players that I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum years from now, when they're 30 years old, will say they're amazing. But right now they're 20 and 21. They have Al Horford, who's a serviceable player. And, but they just, they, to get where they are now, Stevens has done a tremendous job. Oh, but I think until we start calling Bill Belichick, he has to win the title. Uh, he has to get those titles. It's really hard. It's very easy to coach teams that are bad or, or average and coach them up. But in the end, that team is going to be judged whether he wins titles or not. Because if Bill Belichick could be the greatest coach in the world, if he doesn't win titles, he's not going to be viewed as what he is now. You have to win the title. So I think that the history book on Brad Stevens will be win the titles first and then let's look at that. He may be uh, in the um, you know in the camp of everyone else. Like God, just let this guy LeBron retire already, so some of some of us can get some rings. Um, Sean, what about you? I mean, is this LeBron versus Brad Stevens? Well, it absolutely is. You know, and it's and LeBron is the best player in the world. We know that. I mean, he's if he wins an, if he if he wins the championship this year. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's got to be one of the best postseason runs ever, if not the best. I mean, just what he's done, what he's worked with, how far he's carried them. What he did against Toronto is insane. If he comes back 0-2 against this team that's amazing but let's get to brad stevens right because we all know lebron's great how amazing is this guy i mean he lost his all-star point guard he lost the number one free agent acquisition last year that everybody wanted in hayward Hayward, the first game of the season he's starting three young guys rozier with really limited experience uh brown tatum you know who's a rookie and 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 they're this far they're even though i know they just got blown out but they're up 2-1 against the Cavs. i mean they're still if we had to bet odds i'm sure they got the the odds are in their favor at this point but I also want to point out, too, because I know Brad Stevens is getting so much attention, and he, he definitely deserves it. But Danny Ainge, way he's built this roster, think about it. You lost Hayward and, and, and Kyrie Irving, and you still have unbelievable talent filling in for them. You know, giving the Cavs, you know, a run for their money. So I just think right now, that's if you have to look at it, they have to be one of the best GM head coaches in all of sports. And as an organization, I mean, the Boston Celtics are just, I mean, they're doing phenomenal things. A few years ago, they went the big three model, won a championship, then LeBron stole that idea. I, I feel like they invented the process that we hear with the Sixers, <laughs> where he stockpiled all these high draft picks. I mean, even if you look at these guys, I mean, you're looking at uh, uh, Brown, who's a, who's a top three pick, Tatum, top three pick, um, you know, so. So he just knows how to do it. And when you have a great GM leading the way and then a coach, you know, on the court with great players, I mean, it's just something special to see this. There's an interesting thing, you know, you don't like to trust a rebuilding process when your GM is no good. Yeah. You know, they went from winning, uh, they went from winning a title with the big three. All those guys, you know, either retire, go their separate ways. What are they bad for two, three seasons? And now they're back in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's amazing. You know, Ira, Sean brought up an interesting point. This is before we move on to the Western Conference here. Do you think Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens is the best GM coach combo in sports? It's hard to really think of another uh, you know combination that is as effective as quickly as they are. Um, I I would say Golden State in terms of the NBA. Yeah, I think Kerr 
and and Myers, who's the GM there, uh, what they've been able to do. And they're very similar. If you look at both teams in terms of getting home, getting signing the key free agents, um, getting your own talent, picking the right drafts. I mean, a lot of it is you're picking third or fourth in the draft, and if you pick third, that's the great player, and second is the average player. Being smart in the draft, everyone complains they need the best draft choice. We talked about how Donovan Mitchell goes to Utah with a 13th pick, and he probably might be the best player of, this, of the entire draft. Um, you just it, The drafting process is key, signing the right free agent, signing the right fit, and then the player development. Jalen Brown, two years yeah. ago, averaged four points a game. Now he's, uh, now he's a superstar. Yeah. Uh, developing your own players. Developing players that are good into superstar players. Developing average players into good players. And that all those things work. I mean, these guys, they don't see in the game. They, it's a year-round. They practice. They drill. They're always working with them. There's so many staffs, stuff staff. It's getting these players uh, to improve. Uh, is the key. And that's what the Heat are trying to do. That's the only option for the Heat is to try to develop their own. You know, Ira, you bring up a great point, though. The NBA has changed from 20 years ago. You're drafting 18-year-olds now. You're not drafting young men. You're drafting kids. And if your team doesn't know how to develop them, they're going to go by the wayside and maybe become someone else's uh, someone else's gem. 7.30, Ira on Sports. Ira's not here with us. He's live uh, in Vegas on the phone. Mike and Sean here as well. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Guys, I... I it, the Western Conference series kind of baffles me. I mean, Houston looked really good and then comes out and loses by, what, third? 41. Four, yeah, 41 points. <laughs> 41. 41 points um, in Game 3. I really think that Game 2 is an aberration, or does Houston still have a chance after a Game 3 blowout? Um, I think it's compl- 2 was a complete aberration, and it only could only get worse. I, I look at this game, uh, people remember boxing between Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearn. Both teams want to go, and they start throwing punches. And Hearns was this great boxer, uh, tremendous, and it's a hitman Hearns. And they were uh, Walter Waits, uh, middleweights, really, when they play. And they would just, they had the best, some people argue the best fight of all time. They fought three rounds. And, the first three, and, they, and all they did was throw fights, punches for, for three minutes of each round. But in the end, Hearns got tired, and Hagler knocked them out. And I think that's what happened in this. <laughs> Houston is throwing some great punches. They're making some shots. They're, they're, they, they can run up. They hit the long threes. They, they push. And Golden State does the same stuff. But at the end of the day, Golden State in the third quarter just has more players. They have more punches. They're stronger. They're in better shape. They just wear them down. There's, I just cannot see how Houston game two was a complete aberration. I just think that this 40-point game is going to happen. I think they're going to win the next two and, uh, and, the, and, and win 4-1. So. Sean, what do you think? Uh, Houston have a chance here? Yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I mean, they're still a very talented team. 65 or 63 games, it's like... That, uh, that's what I mean. I mean, they, they finished with a better record. They, you know, they dismantled them in game two as well. You know, but what, it's it's what we're seeing, right? So Steph was was cold first two games, you know, and they split him. He comes out, he's absolutely on fire. He has a third quarter, you know, where he drops 18 points. Um, so the same thing is said. It's like, this is why we have the, the these blowout games, because, you know, you have a team full of shooters. Um, the biggest takeaway that I... I saw, you know, especially in game three, was how sloppy Houston played. I mean, there was there was one series, and it, it was like when the game first started, I'll say it was like in the first five minutes, Houston had like four turnovers in like three possessions. There was an inbound play after uh, a Sean Livingston tip-in where uh, – Ball goes through, gets deflected off somebody. Eric Gordon gets it, and then out of nowhere, it just kind of flies out of his hand and goes right into Andre Iguodala's hands. It's like you couldn't make a, you couldn't make up the messes uh, that they were having. Uh, turnovers, nineteen to eight. I mean, you have nineteen turnovers and you only get eight. I mean, you expect to be blown out. Good luck. Yeah. And it got so bad at the end of the third quarter. 
you know, you look at the fourth quarter too. It's like, okay, well, it's a blowout. Nobody was playing at that point. I mean, it was just reserves coming in. Um, so, so where I think game three was more of an aberration than game two, yeah. But do I think Golden State's the better team on paper? I do. But I do. Do I think the series is over just based off of one game? Absolutely not. We've seen this series up one game, down one game, up one game. So I, I would expect this to be the way this is going to ride out um, and most likely go to seven games, in my honest opinion. Ira, Steph Curry. He's the best at what he does in the league. Um, it, it's Esky. a it, it's a little concerning though. Guys that are three point shooters because they can be streaky. I, I said earlier he was renting space on Durant's couch for two games. You know, you think he's back now after a strong game three? You think we don't have to worry about Steph Curry for the rest of the series? I. Uh, that's what game three to me was just so interesting to watch. Like I was on the I was just on the edge of the couch. Curry, the first game, was one for five from three-point line. The second game, he's one for eight. So now he's two for 13. He starts out game three, one for seven. So that gives him three for 22. Now, on top of that, he can't play any defense. They are abusing him. Whatever, whoever Curry has, has, they pass the ball to Curry. They don't even run picks. They say, if, you're, if Curry's guarding that person, that person's That's going to the basket. The they kept abusing him, abusing him, abusing him the whole game. And then he had, but he's smart, and this is what basketball players, what, Coach, you hear this term all the time. It's like if you're an outside shooter and you're off, get some layups, get some points, get some action. Yeah. He starts driving and making a couple shots, and then he hit that three in the, in the third quarter, and it just all started to go. And then what was interesting is that they, they started attacking Harden. They're like, oh, you wanted to abuse. It was almost to me like when you watch wrestling, when the one fighter had, like, Hogan is getting beat. You think he's not <laughs> ever going to stand up, and they keep raising his hand up, and he's like, he's, Still alive, and then he somehow gets all the fans, the audience, <laughs> and he has all the power. And Hulkamania is running wild. That's what I felt like. Like the Warrior Mania was running wild because he was just—they were just attacking Harden, and Harden looked horrendous. So they were every play they were going right by him. And I think the mistake that Houston made—that uh, and I, well, I said they really have any options. They have Harden guarding Durant. Sometimes they're forced to have Harden guard Durant, and Durant just tires them out because you just see Harden getting tired and just more tired as the game goes on. And Capella. The key thing, I love Capella. Because yeah. you see when they start out so well, Capella, how great he plays. And he is going to be a phenomenal player. He's 21 years old. But I, he can only play 25 to 30 minutes a game. If they could, if Capella could play for Houston 40, 45 minutes a game, they would be, which he will as years go by, when he gets more experience and gets in better condition to play at that level, he's going to be a great, great, great player. But when he's out of the game and all they do is have Harden, Paul, and a bunch of shooters, they're, they're having a lot of trouble getting their shots off. And Chris Paul is old, too, so he can't only play like 34 minutes. And it's what, it, it's what I said when we talked about the series. I think Houston just wears down. They're, they're getting so worn down trying to play defense on Golden State that when Golden State takes it to the next level, uh, Houston's defense just totally evaporates, and Golden State can score at will. Chris Paul hadn't played in a Western Conference or any Conference Finals in his career, and he still hasn't. <laughs> 4.3 assists per game you know, th- through this series. It's not what you're here for, Chris Paul. Uh, Sean, what, what do you think? Any concerns about Steph, or is this uh, full speed ahead? No, I mean, I, what I liked about it is, I mean, they were digging his grave. I mean, they were really going after him, and, and he did. He looked different. I mean, he didn't look like the same spry Steph Curry on the offensive uh, side of the ball. Um, we always know his defenses, and that's not what he's known for, but what I liked about it is, you know, you, you test a man's wherewithal and you see how he responds. You know, and that, when he came out emphatically and he's, you know, screaming in the camera saying, this is my house. I mean, that's amazing because at the end of the day, it is his house. You know, we could say, oh, Kevin Durant's the best basketball player on that team now. Well, Steph Curry built 
the Golden State franchise to what it is right now. I mean, that's that's on his back. And I loved. I don't know if you guys saw, but his presser. He had a he had a black and white T-shirt, and it had like belts sewn on it. So not like championship belts, but just like belts. It was like two belts on, just to let everybody know, hey, I'm the one with the belts. So stop talking about you know where where I'm at. So, um, but on the reason why I think offensively he's back is you saw him just being a pest. It's like he's like a gnat. I mean, he runs through those screens and he's so tiny and then, you know, getting the shimmy on when he's shaking James Harden down. Um, you know, it just seemed to be the fun-loving Steph where it's like he he hadn't caught back up to the speed of the game after that long layoff. And last, uh, you know, the other night, well, it actually seemed like he was back. Ira, the Tankapalooza that is the bottom half of the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> that was good, right? The Tankapalooza... We, we know who's got the first pick now. It's going to be the Phoenix Suns. You know, obviously, we've talked before this. You think it's almost a foregone conclusion who is going to be a Sun? Um, everyone thinks it's going to be Aiton from Phoenix. Seems to be the pick. Donic, the Serbian player, played great uh, in the tournament. He won the EuroLeague Championship. He was the MVP of the league. But it seems like everyone's saying Aiton's going to be the, the pick for Phoenix. Um, again, some of these players, I, it's interesting with the draft. I mean, we, the draft is in uh, June 21st, so we're going to have time to talk about the different players. And right now, there's, there was the NFL, NBA Combine was going, sort of like the NBA NFL has their Combine, where people were being analyzed to see which players could. And there's still college players. I mean, if you're a college basketball coach, you don't know if your players who they spoke declare yeah. for the draft, but you can then undeclare and go back. So it's a very transitional time, but it's, it's always interesting. People really don't understand what the lottery is, and they have to right before the game, and it's confusing, and there was, uh, Boston was there, and Philadelphia was there. <laughs> I'm sitting there with the odds, and what's the chance of getting different players? But it's just, in general, what the NBA lottery was, was there before was they didn't want to have pranking. They didn't want someone to say, like in the NFL, if you're the worst team in the league, you get the best pick. So there's a chance that you won't have the best, the best pick in the draft, first pick in the draft if you lose, because there's other teams that have chances. But it's weighted in the favor of the teams with the worst record. Now, next year, they're going to weight it differently. So if you have, like, the 10th worst record, you will have a better chance to get that first pick they, because they don't want people to lose, be losing on purpose. Well, we got teams like the Knicks that managed to be awful and get the ninth pick. So yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like that happens. Things just keep getting better in New York. Sean, uh, number one overall in the NBA draft, what do you think? I think it's got to be Luka. I mean, and, and, and I think it's not just because I think he's a phenom. Yes, I think he's a phenom. 19 years old, EuroLeague MVP, Finals MVP. I mean, and, and when you watch him play, right, there's certain players, all you have to do is watch them. I mean, this guy passes the eye test. Uh, Ira was talking about before LeBron James and his passing ability, like through this one pass, through everybody, not even looking, yelling at the ref, not even caring if Corver makes a shot or not because he's like, he's so wide open, he better hit it. So I'm going to continue yelling at the ref. That type of good passing there was a, a video i just watched of him uh it was it was one of the semifinal games in the in the in the tournament and he's he's on one side of the uh the baseline right and he kind of drives in and then he puts his back to the basket and he's still kind of probably like 15 feet on the baseline and a double comes over he throws a pass like sideways with his right hand down the baseline to a guy that's wide open that hits a three that nobody makes. I mean, no, I don't even know how he saw him. Yeah, there. It's like John. Stockton it was just, it vision. was just amazing. And like I said, when you watch him, not that I watch a ton of Euroleague basketball, but <laughs> if, I've seen enough of his highlights, his game tape, some of it, um, and and that's what really stands out. He's a guy that can shoot. Is a scorer because he can drive and he's not afraid to drive, which is great. And he's playing in a man's league at 19. 
but his passing ability. He's he's he has that Ben Simmons, LeBron type of game to it where it's like he just makes the best basketball play. He doesn't have to score the most points. He doesn't care about even getting the most assists. He just wants to make the right basketball play, and that's what you want to see. And yet again, when we're talking about the right fit, if you look at their team, I mean, they got young bigs in Lennon Bender. Uh, Josh Jackson, their uh, top three pick last year out of Kansas. Um, you got Booker, who's amazing, one of the best you know up-and-coming shooting guards in this league, and, and T.J. Warren, um, you know, filling out that three spot, but they have one guy leaving. That's Alfred Payton, uh, a young point guard. Um, he'll he'll be gone. So literally, you could just put Luca in, and now not have to have Booker bring the ball up. Actually, put in a true point guard with size, where he's a complete mismatch. I mean, the guy's six six, and you know passes like LeBron and can shoot and drive and, and dribble. So I just think it's a it's a no brainer, and especially the way the league has gone, it's we're not going after bigs anymore. I know, even though Aton's very uh, athletic, I just think Luca's the best basketball player in this draft, and 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 we'll see that uh, as soon as next year. Seven. 41, it's Ira. And I, and I want to double up what Sean said. I think Donick is the pick also. Yeah. But I keep reading that everyone's he's an agent, but the way the league is going, we had Jeff Bauer, the general manager of the Pistons, on last week, and he was sort of saying the same thing that we said. You want to have flexibility and in the way the game is moving. And I was amazed that everyone said, oh, it's clearly Aiton, it's clearly the big center. When if you look at the four teams right now that are playing, who's the center for the Baines is the center for, <laughs> for uh, Boston. You have Golden, uh, Cleveland really has no center at, at all. Golden State has no center. And Houston has no center except Capella, who comes in as a, who's maybe a small forward rather than a power forward. So really, unless you're Shaquille O'Neal, I just don't see a room. You need to have people who can handle the ball, shoot the ball, and, and and dribble the ball and play and, and are long. I, I don't. I agree. I would take the I would take the playmaker over the center. And that's the thing. I mean, he's he's that positionless guy where he can play the one, two, or the three. I mean, and and that's the NBA that we see. So I definitely agree with Ira on that point. I mean, going going to the model of a pos, positionless. And when you look at the teams, who do you look at? You know, with 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 great teams, great backcourts. That's why you see Toronto succeeding. That's why you see Golden State succeeding. That's why you see success in with the Blazers. Um, you know, it really comes down to young backcourts, and if you could put a guy like Booker who can light up, you know, and, and shoot the lights out of a gym from anywhere with a guy that can bring the ball up in the passing and the basketball IQ that uh, Luca has, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. Guys, let's move on at 743. Ira on Sports 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. 143rd running of the Preakness is in the books, and I love when there's a triple crown on the line. Uh, we broke this story about mm, seven weeks ago here on Ira on Sports. Mike Iavarone, a former owner of Big Brown, said, watch out for this horse, Justify. Bob Baffert comes out today and says, this is the, Le- the LeBron James of horse racing. He trained American Pharaoh, won a triple crown. He said, Justify is a better horse than that. Ira, it was a crazy day at Pimlico. What was your thoughts on the race? Well, it was, anyone who has a chance, it's great to watch it. You want to say watch a basketball game, it's two and a half hours. Go, go put it on YouTube, hit Preakness 2018. It was an amazing race to watch. There was, it was so one much of them, fog, yeah. so much rain. It, it would look like it was like from the middle evil ages <laughs> yeah. in terms of running and the and it was a great, it was, I, I, I've watched the race three times. You watch it live, you don't really see what happens. And I came back and watched it a bunch of times. And it was interesting because Justifying Good Magic, the two favorites who were one and two in the derby, they were running neck and neck for the whole race. So you got to see the same horses who finished the other race. And I grew up, it's affirmed in Allendar, where the most famous uh, competition, because affirmed won the Kentucky Derby by a length, and then he won right over Allendar, and then he won the Preakness by a neck, and then he won the Belmont by a nose. And Allendar finished third 
three times, but they were against the greatest horse. And this, I felt like this could be the same situation because good magic could justify. And when they went around a final turn, it was hard to see on TV because it's all foggy and you hardly get to see anything. But good magic took that lead, then justify then, they went ahead of good magic right down the stretch. And at, and at three quarters of my equipment here, see anything. But then this horse, uh, Bazzaro, uh, I'm sorry, Bazzaro, um, came out from the outside. Justify did get tired, and at the end, it was only by a nose. I mean, he literally won that race by a nose, and Good Magic fell apart, too, and Tenfold finished third, and Good Magic finished fourth. So now a lot of people are saying, well, we saw Justify. It's two times he's rushing, he's, he's, he's getting tired, he's going to have three weeks now to run against the Belmont, that horses have been way rested, it's a mile and a half, it's much as though no horse runs, nobody runs a mile and a half anymore. So I think people, I can wait to see what the odds are for Justify. I think people are going to say he's going to have some trouble. He's not bred for the distance. All my friends that are in the horse business, besides Mike, I've own said he's not bred for the Belmont. That's what's going to do him in. He has his speed, but he doesn't have that Belmont. Has, has nobody in his pedigree has had run these long races. And uh, so, but it was it was a great race to watch, and I encourage anyone to go on YouTube and rewatch it. Uh, Ira, I will reiterate that one hundred percent. It's one of the most exciting horse races I've ever seen in my life. The the slop combined with the fog combined with the moves Justify was doing. You know, Justify had the lead for a long time. Good Magic did take the lead at one point. Justify knew exactly what he had to do. Got outside. Triple Crown, though, I think it's going to be really difficult. You you nailed it on the head. Longer distance. This horse is not running on regular rest. He's running three times in five weeks, whereas the Boltioros of the world, the Salaminis of the world, they're coming in on normal rest, and they're a little bit better at stretching out anyways, and, you know, uh, anybody living in the eastern part of the United States is hoping for this rain to stop. So, uh, you know, hopefully the track in, you know, in New York won't look so bad in three weeks. Uh, you think he's got the triple crown here? I, I think it's going to be really tough, but I haven't seen a horse run like this in a while. Um, I I don't know. I'm going to see what who's going to run. Let's just see. I right now I was saying no. I'm going to be at the race. I'm going to be at the Belmont. I simply want to root for him. But he looked very very tired at the end of the race. If that race was an extra furlong, uh, Bizarro would have would have won that race. So I I think and also Tenfold who finished third probably would have passed him also. So I just I don't know. I I, I would not. I want to see what the other horses who's, who's entering who's not entering. But at this point, I can't wait to watch it. It's must-watch TV, but I don't think he's going to do it. Uh, I think it's must-watch TV as well. Let's change gears to the NHL. And for me, I've watched almost every single game of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they've been must-watch. This has been one of the best playoff um, playoff series that I've seen in a long time. And I'm a Ranger fan. We're not even in it. Um, hmm. Sean, an expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights, they're in the Cup. Do you think they're really that good, or is this just kind of that Cinderella story? Oh, the team that you thought was going to lose to the Kings I that did, I yes. said was going to yes. sweep? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, they are a Cinderella team, but they're actually really good and, and the best team in the West. They've been the best team all year, and they've gone out and they proved it, and that's it. And the, and the one thing about this, right, is because all the pundits, such as yourself, Mike, who said they're going to lose to the Kings because, you know, all the experience yeah. the Kings have and, and, and all that, they call themselves the Las Vegas Misfits because they were castoffs. That's what they were. These guys took it personal and went out and have – 
rewritten the the history books. I mean, he, I was talking about it. I mean, there you got three thousand, four thousand fans going to watch a practice. I mean, this is this is what is amazing, and it's perfect for that city because there's something going on all the time, every single day. So just now going to a game, the excitement that Vegas brings, let alone having you know the team in the Stanley Cup their first year. I mean, I, I'm not surprised now that they've made it this far. Uh, you know, had some reservations going in because yes, they're expansion team, but I mean, just game after game after game. I mean, they just keep doing it. So um, I, I like the Las Vegas Misfits uh, moniker that they've labeled themselves, and and they've gone out and they've done it. I will tell you one thing, and I've been wrong for about seven months now. <laughs> I think either Eastern Conference team, the the Capitals or the Lightning, it will outclass them. Yeah. Uh, I and but I've been saying that. Every game this season, <laughs> and they continue to win. Um, one of the things people may not know, the way the draft works is you can, when an expansion team pops up in the NHL, no other sports like this, you can only protect a certain amount of players on your team, meaning you get in situations like with the fact that when, when is an expansion team going to get a Stanley Cup winning goalie that's 30 years old? That's what I mean. It, it's not going to happen often. But, you know, Ira, as you know, sometimes contracts get tough, and it's like, well, we've got this Matt Murray kid who doesn't get paid much. We think he's better, and he's 22. You're 30. We're not signing you anyway. So we can only protect a certain amount of people. Mark andre Fleury, the flower, is going to win the, um, you know, he, he's in line right now to win the Stanley Cup MVP if his play continues. So that was, like, one of the weird things. Florida Panthers gave them two excellent players in Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith. These guys, are, they're second and third liners around the league. The Panthers had too much talent to hold on to these guys. The real winner of this is George McPhee, the general manager of, of, the, uh, of the Vegas Golden Knights. This guy's done amazing. And he took so many players that he got and immediately packaged them off for more picks, more prospects. This guy deserves more credit than anybody left in it, except maybe for Alexander Ovechkin. Um... Sean, they might go home tonight, the Capitals. I picked Tampa in five before the series started, and Washington scored about the first 40 goals of the series. Since then, Tampa's won three in a row. They they were up 2-0. Tampa goes for three in a row. You see Ovechkin getting a win tonight. Caps hold on, or Lightning moving on to Vegas. I mean, his legacy is on the line. I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about Ovechkin's legacy and being the guy that, okay, yeah, he's one of the, you can't consider him one of the greats in, in, in NHL history because he, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he's a Hall of Famer. I get that. But, but when you look at his numbers, it's like this guy do, does special things. You know, he really does. He does. He's done special things in his career, but he hasn't been to a cup and he hasn't won one. You know, so I think where he's got to get better. Um, it's definitely on five on five. I know he always shows up on power plays, but but, at the, end, power play, but yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, he has not been dangerous the last um, the the last three games. And if you look at Hopi, I mean, he had a two game uh, goals uh, per game average uh, the first two games, fifty two uh, uh, fifty seven fifty two saves on six uh, fifty six shots. And now he's and now he's had I think he's let up eight goal, uh, ten goals in the last three games. He's got a three and a half goals against average. I mean he's got to play better. Um, he knows it. He's the rock that's that's been the reason why. I know there's a lot of skaters on that team, but Hopi's been arguably one of the best, if not top three, you know, uh, goaltenders in the league over that stretch. And 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 he still is. You know, and he played that way to to start the series. So you know tonight that's what we got to see. We got to see Ovi go up quick and have that closers mentality. Go out and and dominate and punish him. Don't stop at one goal. Don't stop at two goals. Give your goalie a cushion and let him start playing from you know uh, a position of power with some confidence. You, you bring up a good point in Holtby um, trailing off, and a lot of that goes to the fact that 
they're going to the penalty box. Yeah. And Tampa Bay might have the best penalty, I mean, the best power play line I've ever seen in Nikita <laughs> Kucherov, um, Stamkos, and also uh, Chris Kunitz on the outside. These guys are stacked. You cannot, stacked. You cannot w- beat these guys in the penalty box. No. Not going to happen. Ira, what's your takeaway so far from Vegas' amazing run? And also, you know, tonight going into game six of what could be the last of Alex Ovechkin's chances? Well, I think, it, you know, the Vegas lost the first game. And then now they want they want they end up winning four straight. I think people were really nervous. They were talking about the Celtics, uh, the Cavs being nervous. Um, certainly in Vegas, they're like, oh, it's over. I mean, they were very nervous with that first loss. I, it's interesting. I wonder. One other point about Vegas that uh, people have to mention is that a lot of times now these teams have these uh, flamboyant owners. The owners are involved. The Jerry Joneses type of thing. If I ask you who the Vegas Golden Knight owner was, you probably don't know. It's William Foley. He's actually from Jacksonville, Florida, and he grew up uh, in the military. Very modest means, was a rancher in Ontario, Canada, and just liked hockey and grew up like that. And I think what he, the best thing he did was he really hired McPhee, the general manager, and sort of let him do his thing, let the coaches do their thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting that he's not been in the forefront. You would expect him to be taking all the credit, but he's really given by him just putting all the credit on the general manager and the coach and the players. And as Sean said, these are, mis- these are players that say you could protect a certain player. So all these players were on a team, and their own team said, we think we have better players than yeah. you. You're not as good. So they were effectively all traded. They were all saying, you're no good. You're all cut. You're not good enough. And so they all have a chip on their shoulder that they want to prove. And uh, it's, uh, it's really exciting to see that happen. And I, 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 Tampa Bay, is this series is, is amazing. And you're right about the penalties. That I, I just think that the passion on both Tampa Bay and Washington, you don't have to like hockey. You don't have to enjoy hockey. Watch the game. Watch the game tonight. Watch these other games. They are, the, the players are just are, in terms of the overall skating and the checking, it is just it is great to see people play a sport with so much passion and energy, and the fans are clearly in it. I mean, they're, they're watching hockey on TV and seeing the, the stands and the flag and the, everyone dressed in the same color, it's pretty amazing. So I'm excited to watch the games tonight uh, and certainly Stanley Cup Finals. I, 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 I couldn't have summed it up better. Every single series, doesn't matter if it's Ovechkin versus Stamkos on the first line or if it's the fourth liners, these guys are playing with their... You know, they're playing with everything they've got. There's no shift off at this point in the Stanley Cup playoffs. If you're not a hockey fan, tonight would be a good good time to jump in. I promise you're going to see some goals. You're going to see some hard hits tonight as Washington looks to keep their Stanley Cup playoff hopes alive versus Tampa Bay. Ira, we had an epic... uh, Revelation in this country a week ago, and we had Dan Wallach on the show, arguably the leading uh, sports gambling attorney in the country. He gave us a lot of opinions on what's going on with gambling being legalized. Would you like to give your opinion on what's going on in the Supreme Court? Well, Dan was awesome, and he's great, and we're going to have him on again yeah. because I think this is like this is a topic that I think everyone more people ask me about this than basketball. Everyone's talking about gambling when it's going to happen. I mean, I was at Cleveland watching the Preakness in a casino where people are spending money everywhere on slot machines, and, and you could and I could bet the Preakness. I could even bet the game, but that will change, I'm sure, in about a year or two, and something like that will happen. But it's really interesting what happened is why from a Supreme Court because I'm a lawyer to understand the gibberish of the law. Uh, what happened is when they passed that, the law that said that only Nevada could have it, and you could actually, it was weird, you also had um, some other states, Montana had it, Oregon and Delaware, they had parlay betting. So they were allowed to have their other sports, and then they locked it in place, and they said nobody else could get gambling. And the Supreme Court said, you can say 
there could be no, the, the U.S. Congress could say there could be no gambling by anyone ever in the whole country. They're allowed to do that. But they're not allowed to say the states can't say that. So the state and the states said, and they can't play favorites. They can't say, Nevada, you get to have sports gambling and nobody else gets it. And that's why the rule was, was uh, thrown out. Um, but it was, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's really interesting to see which states, New, New Jersey has moved extremely fast. And you're going to see another thing by Memorial Day weekend. You're going to be able to be betting on the NBA finals and the <laughs> Cup finals then. So, I mean, that's, uh, and, and I know we asked Dan about this whole, I think the effect, though, I'll have to say this, the more I think about this, and I, uh, we have so much to, to talk about the sports, you're going to see in the NBA, you'll see the sports, it'll be, I think it's going to help these sports leagues. People are going to get more interested in it. People are going to watch the games. They're going to say, turn the TV off, it's a blowout, because you're going to see the over-under. I, I am nervous on the college level, because there's just so, there's 300 basketball teams playing college basketball, mm-hmm. and all the sports scandals that we've seen, besides the NBA with the referee, you don't see since 1919 the Black Sox scandal in baseball. You don't see the, uh, the major league teams getting paid off, because they don't know if, if someone got paid too much money. The salaries are too great. But in the college, when these players are not getting paid, and they're playing at uh, Cal- uh, San Diego State and the Cal State Fullerton, and uh, and their buddies are betting 500 a game, maybe they'll shave some points on that. And that's where you've seen the scandals in the back: the Boston College scandal, the San Diego football scandal, the uh, 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 and back in the times where the city, the University of New York, in the 50s that that stopped all basketball in New York City. That's always been at the college basketball level. It's the easiest game to manipulate. So I'm a little concerned from that level because. It's going to be easier to bet and do those things, but it's uh, it's definitely something we're going to be talking about, um, and it's going to be also interesting how it's going to affect fantasy. Uh, now that are you going to is fantasy going to, is it going to hurt fantasy because people can actually bet on the games, they don't have to bet on their players. I, a lot of people say it's going to hurt fantasy. I don't think so. I think yeah, people either. love fantasy so much that I think fantasy is still going to be very strong. Fantasy is something you do with your buddies for bragging rights more than the actual money, I think. You know what I mean? I don't think it'll affect fantasy. I, I do have some questions about this, though. And obviously, this is Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. We're bumping right up against 8 o'clock, but we'll go a little over like we always do. Mike and Sean here as well. Ira, you're in Vegas. How do you think this is going to affect Vegas? Because really, the bookies must be people that are not really thrilled about this. Uh, there's no worry at all. They just think, hey, more people bet. They're going to come here. They're going to enjoy it. Um, as gambling increased throughout the country, people say, oh, it's going to hurt Vegas. Trust me, there are more. there's cranes in the air. There are more hotels. Anybody who goes to Vegas knows there's more hotels than there's ever been. There's more planned hotels. There's more people coming here. Um, I think it's like they get the taste of whatever. I think the change in Vegas will be, I think you're going to see the sports books get better. I think you're going to see there be, mm. they're going to be like out of this world sports books. Oh, yeah. where you're going to go and watch the games. And uh, but I I really don't I don't think it's going to have effect I think at all I, certainly it'll affect the, your local sports bookie the person who went to the sports bookie that guy will be affected unless he gets credit whatever but I don't think I, I think Vegas doesn't Vegas is not Vegas has no they say look there's been casino gambling in in twenty some states in the country and hasn't affected it's actually helped them because people have to start gambling in casinos in New Jersey and Pennsylvania now they want to come to Vegas to gamble in these big, amazing casinos now. So I don't think they're nervous about it, um, but I do think uh, I, I think it's, they feel it's going to help them, actually. Ira, just a few things I want to touch on before we wrap up Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Your buddy, Rafi Nadal, wins the Italian Open. Good for him. <laughs> well, you know how I love to talk about tennis. I know. But, um, so Nadal beats Sasha Zarev. He's going to be going for his 11th 
a French Open title, which starts this weekend, um, and he's number one in the world. It's absolutely it's tremendous. Watch it. Serena is uh, is one slam away from 24 wins. She's going to be entering, hasn't played in a Grand Slam since she had her baby. So you're going to see her come back. She's going to try Margaret Court for 24 Grand Slam wins, for the most Grand Slam wins ever. Uh, so you have these two transcendent, uh, transcendent uh, champions, the greatest of, of all time, playing and with a great chance to win. I don't think Serena should be listed as a favorite because she hasn't played, but Nadal certainly is the favorite for the French, and it's always a good tournament to watch. Do either of you happen to know who Serena Williams, um, the father of the baby, is? He's, uh, he's, uh, he's He started something like he Snapchat started Reddit. or Twitter. Com. Reddit, Alexis Ohanian. But it's, it's, it's interesting. She's uh, you know arguably the best female tennis player ever. He's a programming computer guy. I don't think I would have wanted to have a kid with him. Like, I, I, <laughs> let me get somebody that's an athlete so I can pass this on. It, it, great guy, great website, very intelligent guy. Yeah, but I always just thought that was a little extremely interesting. Extremely loaded. <laughs> uh, well, definitely, definitely very wealthy. I don't think she needs the money that much. No, so, living I, right here in uh, yeah. Ballon Isles down the street from us. Um, Ira, um, big win at the Byron Nelson. And I got to tell you, I've never really heard of this guy. <laughs> tell us about the Byron Nelson because I know you caught it. Well, I, I didn't. Nobody watched it. Of course, when Tiger's on it, nobody watches. Um, it's interesting. Speed play got finished twenty first. It was a weak field. He didn't really play that well. Sergio Garcia didn't make the cut. Uh, the Memorial's coming up in two weeks. Um, he's uh, uh, Tiger's played great in the Memorial. Uh, he's playing well. This might be the tournament. People say, "Where's he going to win?" I, don't, I said, "I don't think he's going to win at the U.S. Open, but the Memorial might be the tournament." He feels comfortable and it has a great field because Jack is Jack Nick was his tournament. Um, so people feel the obligated to go to the tournament and play. It's going to have an amazing field in two weeks. So I, I'm excited for Tiger Memorial in two weeks. But no, <laughs> certainly these other tournaments, they give a chance for players to come out and play. And it was interesting just for me to watch, watch certainly that, just to see where Speed finished. And he didn't play well, and he hasn't really played that well this year. Uh, and uh, it's just coming into the... Uh, the U.S. Open and how well he's going to fly. little boxing before we wrap this up. Uh, Donna Stevenson, he's going to retain the uh, light heavyweight title. I think you have a little bit of a qualm, though, with Adonis Stevenson, don't you, Ira? Well, he's 40 years old, and, and that's a problem with boxing, that he's really another great fighter that we mentioned before, but Lobotenko fought last week against Lenard. Boxing is not going to become... <laughs> boxing is still going to always be around there, but these fighters have got to fight the top people in their in the divisions have got to keep fighting each other. If we, if we didn't see Golden State, it's like if we watched Golden State and we watched uh, uh, Cleveland and they didn't fight it, they didn't play. Like, play the game. And that's the problem with boxing is that they, these fighters don't fight against other great fighters. And then that's what defines greatness. I mean, Muhammad Ali is considered the greatest. And one of the things is he fought all the great fighters. He fought everybody. Yep. So I, he fought everybody. And he lost. He lost. He didn't win every fight, and you got to fight, and you got to fight. And I just, I, I just think that Stevenson is the poster child of someone who continually has avoided. He's the champion of the world, light heavyweight. He's has an amazing Sterling record, but no one knows who he is again, and he just hasn't fought people, and he hasn't made it. And I think that's the thing. So. It's, you know, I feel like they're going the, the way of WWE and it's more ratings versus quality. And we're just going to see McGregor Mayweather like once every 18 months until they're in wheelchairs. <laughs> I don't know where the boxing thinks that it's taking this sport, but it's not in the best interest of the fans. Before we wrap it up, Ira, the Indy 500s this weekend, long gone are the days of the Art and Senna's and Mario Andretti's. Does anyone care about the Indy 500 anymore? I don't think they do. And I re- I'm, you're talking <sighs> to someone who loved that. That Sunday, I would just watch the whole race. I like qualifying. I, I was really into it. And you can see it. They don't even, uh, they don't even sell the race out now. The rate, television ratings are down 
four top, you know, one fourth what they used to have. No one's talking about the Indy 500. It's a shame. They, there was a period of time in the sport where there was a separation where the best drivers didn't want to run in it, and that caused it. But we talked to you know, we talked about NASCAR when I was in Vegas before about NASCAR's decline. The open wheel racing, which was Indy 500 had, has declined far greater than that. And it is just amazing because Indy 500 was one of those things that just people would talk about Memorial Day weekend, Indy 500, and nobody can name. I mean, unless the Indy 500 drivers go on and win, are on The Bachelor or go on Dancing with Stars, nobody knows who they are. And that's a shame. And it's, it's really, it's because uh, I think it's a great sport and it's a great tradition in America. And, uh, but no one cares. No one cares at all about this race. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, 95.9. Mike and Sean as well. Ira, you're in Vegas right now. I would love for you to hang out and see a Vegas Knights game, but you're a pretty busy guy. What are you doing this week? Uh, I'm going to go to Houston on Thursday and Cleveland on Friday. That's what uh, we're at. This is the NBA. This is the time. I love these playoff games. and I'm very close. Vegas to Houston is a short, uh, short flight, and then I just fly up to Cleveland. So it's going to be Houston Thursday and Cleveland on Friday. Great show all around, Ira. Have fun in Vegas. Don't lose your shirt at the roulette table, and we will catch up with you next week. On behalf of Sean and Mike, we'll talk to you next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel.